Good morning. We're celebrating young farmers on the programme this week as the National Young Farmers Week gets underway. Young Farmers is the largest rural youth organisation for those aged between 10 and 26. You don't have to be a farmer, of course. More from Kate soon. Later, Kit has the update from Open Field and Sean will bring you the latest agronomy tips and advice as well. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. First this week, cabbage stem flea beetle. It's proving a real pain, more so than ever. And we know the reasons why, don't we? I'm hearing from a lot of farmers who are saying for the first time ever they're losing crops of oilseed rape purely because of it. Here's what our agronomist Sean Sparling had to say on this very programme a week ago. Cabbage stem flea beetle continues to be the complete pain in my backside that it was last year. I, it's a difficult job, this, because there's no silver bullet. There's no perfect advice I can give anybody. We're all having problems. Um, last year, we found out that if you drill oilseed rape too early, you get two or three generations of adults cabbage stem flea beetle attacking it which means two or three generations of egg laying and therefore larvae infestation is much higher on an earlier drilled crop of oilseed rape. Some rules in some fields don't carry over for rules in other fields so I've walked into fields at nine o'clock in the morning that are teeming with cabbage stem flea beetle. I go back to that same field an hour later and I can't find any. After dark go out with your flashlight see if they're out in the field. If you can hit them you can control them but there is no perfect system there is no perfect rule it's trial and error and we just have to hope that we get through the season with a crop that we can harvest and that is worth some money we'll hear more from sean uh, a little later see if things have improved first one of those hoping the crops are worth some money that's our old friend andrew ward andrew how are you finding things yeah um he's right but we need to um probably look at a few other expletives in front of that because he he's definitely right and sean does a lot of fields and walks a lot of crops so he knows what they're like um we the problem we've got though is that that it's not only a pain in the bum for 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 us it's also a pain in the bum for for insects and wildlife because as much as they um it was banned because everybody was saying or some of these government officials were saying that it was damaging the bee population the loss in the pollinating crops due to the massive reduction in oilseed rape being planted will have a far more detrimental effect to to the bees and to the wildlife than than uh, than the Enix ever did and you can print off numerous reports um, and uh, for everybody that says neonix caused damage you can find reports that say they didn't cause damage so so that that's the thing about it but the problem we've got now sean is i've got some rape plants in my hands here as you can see this crop was stood in was, was planted um, about uh, just over three weeks ago three and a half weeks ago so the first few days in september normally that's fine um, for us we don't often plant well then we get decent yields um, for planting then but it was dry again this year at that time um, and the flea beetle damage normally the later you get on isn't quite so damaging but the problem we've got now is that the flea beetle have been attacking it and you can see here I've got a plant in my hand here that if you take the cotton lead and weight leaf away there we've got two main leaves at that plant but you can see the holes and the yellow staining around the holes so that plant is seriously suffering we've got a little plant here that's just at the cotyledon stage so just come through the ground over the weekend probably with the rain not damaged at all and then we've got another plant here um, that came through a bit ago probably uh, two leaf stage as well but it's really really struggling and you can see the green leaf area is gone and of course green leaf area um, is what attracts light for photosynthesis for the plant to grow so we've got a big problem here and also that we've sprayed this three times it's had three insecticides on it already in about 10 days and this is the problem so we're overall spraying the whole field 
to control insects that are crawling about between the rows. The rows of rape are half a metre wide. A seed treatment on this surely is far more beneficial and a lot more kinder to the environment and kinder to the insects. So we've got this problem at the minute um, and I don't know whether these will survive or not. Last year um, we pulled up uh, a lot of area. We had 520 acres that we, we, we planted. We pulled up over 200 acres uh, in early mid-October um, and I thought let's get it in with wheat and I'm pleased we did because the wheat all yielded well. So, so that was the right thing to do but of that we'd already spent £93 an acre on that land that we pulled up so we, we lost a significant amount of money on that um, and thank goodness the wheat yielded well but this is the problem we're faced with and, and I don't really know Sean how much longer we can carry on planting a crop in the hope and it is just a hope that we're going to have something to combine and harvest and earn us money next year because we can't keep putting these crops in the ground ripping them up and losing money there is not enough in the job to stand that it's as simple as that do you think you'll be taking this up? At the minute, it's borderline. I think we might just be okay. You can see there, look, another plant that's mm. a bit bigger that was obviously hit the moisture early. Um, the next two weeks are going to be really critical for this this crop. Um, we've got agri trials just behind us over there with lots of varieties in the ground, and this forms part of our iFarm open days. So I hope we don't have to do it because obviously those plots will go. Um, I'd like to think we're going to be all right, but it's going to need an awful lot of, of uh, management and time looking at the crop. And I'm glad now we've only got three fields rather than the 20-odd fields that we normally have because it is very, very labour-intensive keeping an eye on it. So time will tell, and uh, I'll let you know. There doesn't seem to be any movement, though, from government, does there? You know, it's not they're not no. going back on the neonics or anything no. else. If anything, more is being taken away. It, it is, and that's the thing with it. And no matter how much pressure we put on as farmers, the NFU, they are very vocal and they are very good. The NFU are doing a huge amount for, for British agriculture at the moment, not just in neonics, but with everything. And every time, you know, somebody goes to the government and, and asks about the neonics and it comes back straight away, no, that will never, ever get reversed. It's not a question of we'll think about it, it's point blank no. And, and I just don't know where we're going to go with this because we're having plant protection products removed from our sort of chemical store all the time. And, and people say that, oh, you know, you're bad by spraying, you need to go organically. But us applying products to our fields and our crops is no different to you going to the doctor. If you don't feel very well, you go to the doctor and he gives you tablets or he gives you medicine. And that's all we're doing to a crop, we're making the crop feel better. But um, it's very difficult when all those tablets and medicines that would be used are being removed from us. That's Andrew Ward at his farm at Lednam. He's uh, far from alone with those experiences. Let's go back to Sean Sparling, our agronomist. Sean, as you said last week, it's a real difficult one to tackle, though you were hoping for rain as that might help things. Did it? Morning. Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, yeah, I mean, it was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? We've had a serious amount of rain. I think it's fair to say that these seed beds with all seed rape in them are now wet enough to promote growth. Um, they've got moisture now. They've got the nitrogen. They've still got the warmth and they're holding that warmth. So hopefully the course of the next seven days should show us quite an improvement in these later drilled all seed rape crops. But don't lose sight of the fact as to why you drilled them that little bit later. It's easy to get over the hedge envy looking at your neighbour's crops and say, this late drilling nonsense it's a load of rot we should have drilled ours earlier look at the state of theirs they look so much better than ours very easy to get yourself into that mentality 
But what you need to understand is there's a reason we drilled later, and that is to limit the amount of larval infestation in the plants as they go through and out of the spring. Because last year, it was the larval infestation which caused the majority of the problem. The direct feeding was an annoyance and a hindrance in the autumn, just like it is this year. It's a huge annoyance and a frustration that we can't manage it because we don't have the tools left to deal with it efficiently. But the earlier drilled crops, what we saw last year was they took two to three generations of cabbage stem flea beetle. Therefore, the burden of larvae was much higher. Now, there is something you need to bear in mind this year. And that is, if you've got a relatively forward crop of oilseed rape, but it's absolutely peppered by what looks like a combination of slug and cabbage stem flea beetle adult feeding damage, cut those plants open and have a look and monitor them very closely over the next three or four weeks. If they're full of larvae, and they are beetle larvae so they'll have three pairs of legs and a definite head if they're beetle larvae that will be cabbage stem flea beetle and they will eat your crop from the inside out once you get to March April so if you find yourself in that position full of larvae now you may as well rip that crop out rather than spend a lot more money getting it to April only to abandon it when you get to April that's what we saw last year you need to be very very proactive on this and you need to make some tough decisions because you know looks can be very deceiving when it comes to oilseed rape as I said last week there were fields I was coveting next to mine which looked wonderful and come March they stopped dead in their tracks and they yielded absolutely nothing because of that cabbage stem flea beetle larval infestation now we drilled a lot of these crops later and it's worth remembering why you did that we've done it to avoid that burden of larval infestation so now we've got some rain you'll start to see these crops greening up and I can see a difference since Wednesday in some of these fields but what we need is these crops to get to a sort of four leaf crop before we get into the middle of November because by the same token as ripping out an early crop that's full of larvae if you've got a late crop that's only just pushing cotyledon one leaf as it hits the bad weather you may want to reconsider leaving that in as an oilseed rape crop because it may not stand the winter remember things like propizomide centurion max clethodim they have minimum growth stages you can't go on with clethodim centurion max until the rape crop's got two true leaves on it you can't go in with propizomide until you've got at least three true leaves on the crop so if you've got a backward crop that hasn't made it through to that point by that time you may want to reconsider leaving that in with oilseed rape as well but you know I think there's a lot of positives out there there's a lot of good rape which has managed to get away and it does seem okay at the moment but you know looks can be deceiving and never judge a book by its cover get your knife out cut these plants open if they're full of larvae you've got to get rid of them and if they're not going to make the winter you've got to get rid of them as well it's tough choices but your first loss will always be the, the least expensive to you now the good thing about the rain is it's done so much more good than it will have done harm because it's wet down the rape seed beds we've now got moisture they should grow out of it and another week should see an awful big change a massive change for the good in all seed rape crops but also it's holding you back from drilling your wheat into these fields it should help on the stale seed beds get that flush of black grass coming now same principle applies if there's no crop there you're going to have mineralizing releasing nitrogen you've got warm soil you've got moisture that should help us get a bit of a flush of black grass going and there's been very very little emerged black grass at the moment a little bit of brome coming through certainly from the serif 
Falcon species. But at the moment, very little emergence and very little greening up on the stale seedbed. And that is why the rain is good from my point of view, because it stops you charging in, it allows those stale seedbeds to work. And where you haven't got black grass, it stops you sticking wheat in the ground too early uh, to be at the mercy of the barley yellow dwarf virus vectors, the grain aphid, rose grain aphid, bird cherry oat aphid, which are all out there. So as I said last week, manage these seedbeds, manage that green bridge, manage those stale seed beds, monitor this rate and make some tough decisions should you have to do so. But, you know, next week is a whole different ball game. We don't know what the weather's going to bring in the next seven days, but hopefully now we've had some rain, it should bring one or two fields full of oilseed rape on. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. National Young Farmers Week starts tomorrow, but you know what I'm like. Always early, so let's launch it today instead. Well, well kind of. We'll talk about it anyway. Kate Knight is Strategic Development Manager for Lincolnshire's Young Farmers Clubs. Kate, an exciting week for our young farmers, isn't it? It is. It's a great, exciting week. Um, It's a a week where we welcome new members. Um, It's the National Young Farmers Week, sponsored this year by NatWest. And in Lincolnshire, it's our new members week. So like I said, new members, new faces. um, We're welcoming everyone. So tell us about young farmers. For those who've never perhaps heard of young farmers, I know a lot in the industry world, but for those who haven't, just explain a bit about what you do and what the aims are. Young Farmers is the largest rural youth organisation for those aged between 10 and 26. An even mix of boys and girls, 54% boys last year, 46% girls in lots of different um, industries that you don't just have to be in farming. Like I said, it's a youth club. They meet weekly, uh, have a great programme of social events, competitions, meetings, trips, visits. We do things all together as a county like our county rally and um, and clubs set their own programmes and, and run their own clubs during the year. I think certainly the benefits of being a young farmer is, is, is to meet new friends and friends for life for, for sure. And of course if you're a regular listener to the farming programme a lot of the contributors to the programme have all come through young farming whether it's I don't know Manette Batters, Guy Smith up at the NFU, um, you know Sean Sparling uh, our agronomist and, and various names that you hear on the programme they've all kind of been a part of young farmers at some stage some of them wish they still were young enough I think but that's the case isn't it it's, it's across the board. Yes absolutely um I mean, Young Farmers is a great thing to have on one's CV. It gives you great skills because we, we run a, a programme of you know training and competitions. The, the Young Farmers motto is fun, learning, achievement. It certainly is. And um, yeah, you know, lots of people have come through the Young Farmers. They normally say it's the best thing they've ever done in their lives and sets you in, up with some good skills for careers going forward. And you obviously raised money for charity as well. And I think uh, last year, what was the figure? So we raised just under £16,500 for charity last year. Um, some of that was for Lynx uh, Air Ambulance and some of it was for Cancer Research UK. And then quite a lot of the clubs run uh, their own social events and their own um, things for local charities such as LRSN. We raise a lot of money for. And they, they raise money from doing community projects, car washing, um, Louth held an afternoon tea. Brig raised a lot of money for LRSN doing a dinner dance. So, you know, we are a charity and the clubs have to fund themselves, but they, they raise money for, for charities as well. And of course, you know, we have listeners not just in Lincolnshire, listening around the country as well. There are young farmers clubs the length and breadth of the country as well, aren't they? If you go to any summer show, you will have seen young farmers there over the last few weeks and and they're very active as, as they are here. 
Yeah, I mean, Young Farmers is, uh, like I said earlier, the, the, the largest rural youth organisation in the country. It's It's got very active um, across, you know, England, Scotland, Wales. And um, we sit in the East Midlands area region, so we do quite a lot with our with our other clubs in the region. So we, we work with Derbyshire, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire and North Hants to do things together. We have a East Midlands area weekend of competitions and social events in March. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very active organisation led by National Young Farmers at Stoneley. Uh, you know, from the top, guide us on lots of things that we should be doing. We follow, we in Lincolnshire follow the national programme of competitions, travel and, um, and other things that they send down to us. I know we spoke a few years ago, you had a target set for 2020. We're getting close to 2020. Hopefully, maybe this week with the new members being attracted, you'll get closer to that target. Yeah, I hope so. In the last couple of years, we've had somewhere between 150 and 200 new faces through the door in new members week and, and new members night. So next week, very much focusing on trying to to increase that target and and encourage you know new people to come into the organisation and, and all, enjoy all the things we've talked about. And um, next week, certainly lots of focus on our social media and all our clubs meeting, having their new members' nights. Um, there'll be a club in a town near everybody, hopefully. Um, 7.30, they're meeting Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays next week. And um, we'll be pretty active on our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter accounts and uh, on, our, on our website as well. That's Kate Knight of Lincolnshire's Young Farmers. Do get in touch if you're involved in your local Young Farmers Club and doing something special this week. We'll get you a mention here on the radio. Right, let's get the latest on the markets from Open Field. Kit Dickinson has the report this week. Hello, Kit. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm OK. I'm all right. Has the, uh, has the weather helped you this week? I wouldn't say it's helped, but I wouldn't say it's hindered. I think uh, I think most of the farmers are, are praying for some more dry weather and so they can get on with their winter barley and, and wheat drilling going forward. Um but the market has had a quiet week, really, uh, and there hasn't been a rise or a fall in values. It is worth noting that there has been a change from the lows back at the end of August, and we have seen an 8 to a £10 rise on futures, which has brought us back up into the 130s after Christmas. So 140 isn't too far away. DEFRA released their wheat figures for England this week, not the UK, just England on Thursday, and they were saying that there was a 3.6% rise in the wheat area, giving a total of 1,676,000 hectares of wheat. With large yields across the board this year, we have a large exportable surplus. Moving on to some exports, currently all ports in the UK are fully booked all the way through until the 31st of October. These vessels are mainly going to the EU, but some are destined for North Africa. The weight of export is proving just how efficient the UK ports can be, given the two years of minimal export opportunity they have had. Oilseed rate price has dropped slightly since my last broadcast a couple of weeks ago, but you can still achieve high prices post-Christmas. We have seen 95,650 tonnes of oilseed rape imported into the UK already since harvest, which shows how small our crop is and why our price is dropping slightly. There has been little change really in the domestic feed value on feed barley. An accurate figure of how much we will export will come on the 31st of October. The likelihood of a price swing either way is minimal. A 16,000 tonne vessel was exported this week. Malting barley premiums are currently around the £10 mark. The surplus of malty barley is larger than the trade anticipated. Originally, the surplus was indicated at 250 to 300,000 tonnes, and now it is likely to be nearly double that. There is export interest, as we are currently between the 10 and 12 euros cheaper than Danish 
malting barley, and the Danes are our biggest competitor. There is a possibility of barley being exported after the 31st of October. This is subject to tariffs. If Argentina, the US or Australia have a poor crop, which at the moment is a possibility, this could affect our malting barley market. Beans, there is currently no domestic demand in the UK for beans. Most of the trading activity is around the ports to cover pre-sold vessels. The UK is trading a large crop after the current export sales we have been executed. We will still have more exports to do. So moving on to prices this week. Wheat for October is 127 to 128, 128 to 129 for November. Moving forward to post-Christmas, as I said, we hit the 130s at 131, 132. And May, 132 to 134. Milling premiums are currently £20, dependent on quality and area. Barley, October, 113 to 114. November, the same price at 113 to 114. February, 115 to 116. And May, 117 to 119. Not quite making the golden 120 yet. And malting barley premiums are circa £10. Oilseed rope for October is 326 to 328, November 328 to 329, February 330 to 332, and May 334 to 335. Beans spot price for export September October is 172 to 176, November 177 to 178, February 181 to 182. And May 184 to 186. Human consumption premiums for winters are £10 and for springs are £30. Thank you. Kit Dickinson there at Open Field. Let's return to my visit to Andrew Ward's farm, shall we? Away from oilseed rape and the cabbage stem flea beetle, how has harvest been this year, Andrew? Harvest for us was very good, I would say, and I haven't looked back enough at my records yet, but I would say our wheat harvest probably is... is one of, if the not the best harvest I've I've uh, I've sort of ever had, if you like, um, and so that that that's good in that respect. Even second and third wheat wheats were 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 yielding sort of five ton an acre, which is just unheard of, and so we had exceptional yields um, for that period, which is great. And uh, the rape that we pulled out and planted wheat instead, that yielded very well. And so really our wheat, and the other good thing is the wheats were really, really lovely sample. Nice and bold, big bushel weight, good quality. Um, the milling wheat we have in the ground, high protein. So everything there is good. Um, obviously the price has, has dropped. But when you look at um, the price, I worked some figures out the other day. And, and if you're looking at, 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 say, five tonne an acre on 135, 140, it's similar to four tonne an acre at 140. So it's all sort of relative. But, um, yeah, we all sold a little bit early on, but obviously not enough as the price has gone. So, so the wheat harvest was brilliant. Rape um, was a disaster because... Even though we pulled out every crop that looked bad, the ones we left looked fantastic. After Christmas and into the spring, some of the fields just went backwards and didn't grow. And of course, you know, Sean, you've seen them, they were full of larvae um, and, and uh, they, they didn't yield. And our, and our average rape yield um, was around 3.7 or 8 tonnes per hectare, which is, is, uh, is very poor. Um, we had some crops yielding only one and a half, two tonnes a hectare, and and it's you just can't do that. Break-even yield is around three and a half tonnes a hectare, so you know that's where we are with that. Um, spring barley, spring wheat, our other our other crops, uh, yes, yielded well, but not in the same level of the winter wheat yielded, and and so um, I would say possibly 
um, that they'll be the, uh, up there with the rest of the um, spring barley and wheat yields as being good ones, but um, yield-wise, uh, you know, good but not not startlingly good if you like. But of course, the problem with barley is, is it's it's dropped in price a lot. We've got some that's made malting up on the on the heath on the light land. We've had a malting variety called Laureate up there, um, which was um, it's yielded well. Probably I think it's done something like um, three and a half ton an acre up there, which is which is fine. Um, low protein, everything you want for malting barley. Hit down here on the heavy land, we grew a variety called Irena, which is um, now a feed variety, and we grew it just because it's very good um, for standing. A spring barley, very good for standing, and and most of ours did stand well. So we're fine with barley, and we still use barley um, as a as a crop for blackgrass sort of suppression um, in those fields. And spring wheat was for seed. The field we're studying now, actually, Sean was was seed um, for KWS, and I think that's done somewhere around nine ton a hectare as, as an average. So again, we're, we're we're happy with that, and obviously there'll be a premium with it being um, for seed. So all in all, I think yes, we've had a very good harvest disappointing crops were rape and of course the other crop field next to us was stood next to sugar beet we're starting at in the next day or two and on heavy land and this particular field near us here was uh, went in very well and looks good so yeah i'm hopeful for the sugar beet harvest thank you andrew ward with tara in the background at wheat doggy on twitter if you listen very carefully just before the weather, a quick mention that Ben Underwood's replacement has been found at the CLA. Kath Crowther will become the new East Regional Director from early November, joining from property consultant firm Bidwells. She's a fellow of the Central Association of Agricultural Valuers and grew up on an arable and sheep farm in South Wales. Ben, of course, you might remember, is moving to the role of Programme Director at the CLA based in London. We naturally wish both well in their new roles. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Yes, on to the weather then, and more rain is on the way. Very wet today, though it will dry up slowly. Windy, though, could be some gales blowing in off the North Sea in places. A drier start to tomorrow, though further rain overnight into Tuesday, and that could be especially heavy, and then things will calm down by the middle of the week. Uh, We're looking at daytime highs this week. They're starting in their mid-teens, but perhaps in single figures around 9 Celsius come Tuesday. Overnight lows? Around the same, feeling chillier in those winds though, which will be mostly from the west today and tomorrow, gusting maybe today at 30 miles an hour, maybe stronger in places. More from the east by the end of uh, tomorrow and into Tuesday, and then from the north by midweek, with speeds generally of 15 to 20 miles an hour. For now, that's the forecast. A quick reminder, this coming Thursday, Simon Fisher and the team from the NFU are holding that workshop at Frisney Village Hall to offer advice on the Farming Recovery Fund, which we talked about last week on the programme. If you missed it, it's on the podcast page of our website. And don't forget to contact uh, Simon and the team at the NFU for more details and to confirm your place if you're going on Thursday. From the Farming Programme, that's it for another week. Uh, I will do it again for you next Sunday as ever. Until then, young, old, somewhere in between. I hope you have a good National Young Farmers Week. Take care.